Welcome to the Dublin City Public Libraries and Archives podcast. In this episode, local historian Bernard Neary brings us on a tour of Dublin 7, including the people, places and historical buildings. Recorded at Cabra Library on the 23rd of August 2017 as part of our Heritage Week programme. Good evening ladies and gentlemen. I would like to thank Cabra Library for inviting me here this evening during Heritage Week to make this presentation on Dublin 7. A special thank you to Anne Piggott and Gavin Bourke of Cabra Library for all the effort they have put into this evening. I would also like to thank Mr Anthony Farrell and all at Lilliput Press for publishing my book Dublin 7, which has led to me being here tonight. That's John Taylor map of 1816. You can see Scribblestown, Ashtown, Riverdale. Um, I will bring you on all on a journey through Dublin 7 and beginning at Cardiff Bridge, then up to Ashtown and moving through Cabra to Fibsborough, through Grange Gorman Manor Street in Smithfield and along the quays to Capel Street, visiting people, places and events as we move along. There isn't enough time to dwell on every slide or topic, but I hope to give you a broad flavour of the district, its people and history. Cardiff's Bridge was a typical country village until the early 1960s, complete with its own pub, the Jolly Toper, a dairy farm and a shop. The Newmans even farmed Angora rabbits here for their wool. Cardiff Bridge is on the Rathout Road just outside Cabra West. The village disappeared totally to make way for a new road network, the original bridge over the Talca River and the surrounding fields being incorporated into the present day Talca Valley public parkland. As I say, the last inhabitants to lead were Cozy Finnegan and her brother, and Cozy was given a house in um, Clune Road in Finglas, and her cottage was the last house standing in Car- the village of Carter Bridge and was demolished in 1976. I remember visiting Cozy in her new house in Clune Road, and she told me, she said, gosh, I'll never get used to having an upstairs. <laughs> there has been an inn on this Ashtown site for over 200 years, and it was located on what was then a small, quiet country crossroads called Kelly's Corner, from the name of the family who owned the premises. Peter Kelly was the proprietor during the 1920s and 1930s. Giles was the last member of the family to manage the pub. The old inn, as you see it there, was demolished in 1946, and it was rebuilt and has been extended and renovated over the years. Now owned by Con Tracy, Michael Milan is the present manager, while John Dwyer calls time when Michael is off duty. Kelly's Inn was the setting for an ambush on the official car of Sir John French, the British Lord Lieutenant in Ireland, in December 1919. You can see that's Kelly's corner there, and the white plinth there, that's the the memorial to Martin Savage. During the ambush, a member of the escort and Martin Savage, one of the attacking volunteers, were fatally wounded in the exchange of gunfire. The Ashtown tin box factory <coughs> stood in a site not far from the halfway house. And this is Ratburns, which um, the famous Dublin candle, candle makers who once carried on business in the old mill at Ashtown, just there at the riding stables near the railway crossing, the level crossing gates. It later moved to Dunsinay across the Talca River, and after 200 years there, it moved to East Wall Road in the 20th century. The firm can trace its Dublin roots back to 1488. A book on Ratburns, the history of Ratburns, called Candle Factory, 
which I wrote in 1998, was published by Lilliput Press, and it's still available from their, their, their premises in Stony Batter. Black Horse Avenue is home to um, the Hold Noel pub, and not far from that is the Poor Man's Well on old Ordnance survey maps. It was rediscovered during road improvements on Black Horse Avenue last year. Um, it's located just a stone's throw away from the Cabra Gate into the Phoenix Park. The Beehive Shop was located in the present-day bungalow on Black Horse Avenue, opposite the Military Cemetery and right beside the Phoenix Park Cemetery Gates. You'll notice Cemetery Gates, there's a cross on top of them. You have to look out for it. it. This was a small shop selling ice pops, sweets and ice cream to people going into the park. Maureen McGuire, Lee O'Brien, who now lives in Ockram Court, worked here in 1957 when it was a very busy shop. It was called the Kylesk then, she recalls. The aftermath of the failed 1867 Fenial Revolt resulted in the trial at Green Street Courthouse of those taken prisoner. Many were subsequently deported to Australia. In October 1869, over 300,000 people took part in a mass meeting at Cabra in a field between the Royal Canal and Finglas Road, called to demand the release of Fenian prisoners. Isaac Butt, who then lived in Dublin 7 at 64 Eccles Street, chaired a meeting which had a positive outcome in that Australia seized the practice of receiving convict labour. I now proceed to bring you on a few well-known landmarks in Cabra. Cabra derives its name from wood or ticket and the di district was covered by the ancient wood called Salcox Wood. That's an aerial view of Cabra West in 1950. The Church of the Most Precious Blood in the centre square there hasn't been built yet. It was the temporary tin church. Cabra West in 1968 and you can see there the, um, the, the Church of the Most Precious Blood dominating the, the, the view. Um, you'll notice there there's very few cars, even though it was 1968, and the, the credit union had, uh, had just started, the credit union had, uh, had just started in Cabra West, and um, it was located in Finbar School, which is just here in the forefront. Also notice there's no extensions on the houses, as you'd see nowadays. Muldoon's are famous fish shop in Cabra West, and um, Prussia Street, St. Joseph's School of, for the Deaf, that's at the turn of the, um, the 20th century, 19th-20th century. That's an aerial view and you'll see the sheep in the field there on the left and that's Cabra House in the background. You can see the size of it and Cabra Farm which was the Kyo's farm behind that again. <coughs> the Dominican Convent, Rathold Road. This is around 1940, and again you can see the um, just all fields and cattle and sheep. The entrance to the convent. This was the old 22 bus terminus for anybody of my vintage. Now opposite St Catherine's School is this little pillar. You'd hardly, you wouldn't notice it. And um, it was my better half, Marie, Marie Mooney from Ventry Park. Marie pointed that out to me um, only about six months ago, and we took a few photographs of it. It's, it's the remaining post from the wire fence that ran along Rathold Road. That's Rathold Estate is built on that now. But when I was a schoolboy, there were fields there, cattle in the fields, and we used to take a shortcut through Ventry Park up across the fields. And there was, I don't know if anybody again of my vintage was there, but there was a, a water trough, but it was semicircular, and there were 
I remember not sticking out of it, but it, I remember a farmer, a local farmer, John Kelly, telling me that it was an, an old German landmine and it was cut in half and it was used as a water trough in the field there. So people might remember that. The water pump on Rathout Road, where the old cellophane factory is, it's gone now. It was there last, um, last October and November. That's the view from Riley's Bridge, Cabra, in 1976, photographed by Larry Marr. And um, you can see how derelict the canal was then compared to today. Broombridge. Broombridge is famous for an event on the 16th of October, 1843, when the solution for quaternions flashed into the mind of William Rowan Hamilton, the mathematician, as he was taking his customary walk along the canal from Dunsink Observatory. When he approached Broombridge, the he was, the, the solution for quaternions, which he'd been working on, flashed into his mind. And excited but apprehensive that the solution might not remain in his mind, he picked up a stone, he had no other thing on him to record it, picked up a stone and he carved out the fundamental formula for quaternions on the stonework of Broombridge. I squared equals J squared equals K squared equals IJK equals minus one. That formula has helped put man on the moon. And um, after William Ron Hamilton's death in Dublin on the, in 1865, the work was published posthumously the following year as The Elements of Quaternions. His work is still relevant to this day and is used widely in computer development programs and computer games. Cabra Bats, that's in a state of dereliction, but in the 50s and 60s, there'd be hundreds of people sitting on the hill there on Sunday afternoon, having picnics on a sunny sun, Sunday afternoon. And um, the fields around were real meadows, buttercups and daisies, and the bats would be full. Only boys were allowed to swim in the bats, but it was a mixed bats. The boys swam with their dogs, and the girls swam in the silver spoon nearby, <coughs> or paddled. Fingerswood House, which was at the bottom of Ballyboggan Road, it's called King James's Castle. He's suppo supposed to have stayed there for a night after the Battle of the Boyne. Liffey Junction in Cabra West. And if you note the telegraph poles, and a lot of people haven't noticed that architecture disappearing from the landscape, you know, the telegraph poles. Um, they were everywhere in, at one stage. But in fact, up until two years ago, they were on that, the old disused railway line at, um, from Broadstone at Phibsworth, but they were taken out during the, the present restoration of the line for the Lewis extension. That's Liffey Junction in the 1940s. Notice the gentleman crossing the canal. Railway wagons. It was a depot for cattle coming into the city from the countryside for market down at Hanlon's Corner. And that's Liffey Junction with bachelors here. And you can see the cemetery in the background. That's the field where the, it, around there was where the, the monster meeting took place. Bachelors in 1948. And again, you see the absence of cars and house extensions. Cabra House. The most influential family to inhabit the Cabra district was the Seagrave family. For many hundreds of years they lived in Cabra House, situated at the present day roundabout of Rathout Road, Neffin Road and Fossa Avenue. It's called the Bogies Roundabout. The house was originally built during the 1500s. In more recent times, Charles Seagrave was living here during the first decade of the 20th century. His son Henry Seagrave was born in the USA in 1896 and joined the British Army at the beginning of the First World War. Injured in 1915, at the end of the war he took up motor racing and became a household name 
throughout the English-speaking world. He won the 1923 French Grand Prix and the 1924 the Spanish Grand Prix. He won many continental tournaments and became the holder of the world land speed record, 231 miles per hour, set in Daytona, USA in 1929. He took up motorboat racing shortly after that in his own boat, Miss England II, and made an attempt to set a new world water speed record. On Friday, the 13th of June, 1930, Henry Seagrave lost his life on Lake Windermere in his boat, Miss England II, having reached over 100 miles per hour before it went out of control. He never saw his ancestral home again. Who says Friday the 13th isn't unlucky? Um, Begsborough House, and Begs, the, the Begs would have been another family um, associated with Cabra from the 1500s. Homestead and Quarry Road, this was taken around 1920 when it was the family of, of when it was in the possession of the Snow family. This is a photograph of Kilmartin's Quarry Road taken by a local photographer, Lara Boland. This is Matt Kiernan. Matt Kiernan lived at 19 Offley Road in Cabra. Born in 1898, he left his hometown of Beliver in County Mead to join in Garda Shikana. He became famous in the world of villain pipes through his love of music and of that iconic instrument. He was a founding member, member of Nepebra Illin. A skilled craftsman, he manufactured pipes in a workshop at the rear of his back garden, and he also taught the pipes in what was an open house where the teapot never got cold. He, he is regarded as the first pipe maker to remove the shroud of secrecy that historically surrounded the tradition of making and even tuning illin pipes. He shared his skills widely and his neighbour Tom Mean made practice sets at Matt's house having learned the skills from him. Leo Rickard, a noted contemporary piper and a member of the Rosam Illin Piping Quartet, obtained his first practice set of pipes from Matt in 1976. Matt died in 1986 and following his funeral mass in Christ the King Church on the 24th of July he was taken to his native Beliva for burial. In 1950, Edna O'Brien, then a 20-year-old young lady from Toome Graney in County Clare, secured her licence as a pharmacist and commenced working at Magnier's Chemist at the Seventeen Shops, Cabaret Road. It's now Daly's Chemist. She also lived for a time in Diggs on Crowpatrick Road and she worked in Cullen's Chemist, just around the corner on Screen Road. While working in Magnus Chemist, she met Ernest Gebler, whose parents lived on Cabra Grove, off the Cabra Road. According to Dorothy Reed, who herself and her husband ran Reed's supermarket on Cabra Road, it's now closed, Edna met him in 1952, the same year that he got divorced. They moved to London, where they married in 1954 and had two children. They separated in 1964. Edna O'Brien became an acclaimed writer, and her first novel, Country Girls, 1960 was a sensational success and later made into a film despite being banned in Ireland. The Gebler family were quite interesting in that they featured in an RT documentary Flesh and Blood <coughs> in 2009. Adolf Gebler, a Czech national, came to Ireland in 1908 and played a clarinet at the Gaiety Theatre where he met Margaret Rita, Rita Wall who was a nusherette there and they married in 1910 and had five children. Their first child was Ernest, born in 1915. They lived at number three Cabra Grove for many years. Adult was interred as an enemy alien in 1914, following the outbreak of the First World War. Ireland was a colony. He was a, uh, considered a, a foreign alien and a danger. 
and he was imprisoned, and he didn't get to see his son for nearly four years. In 1930, Adult took up a position playing with the studio players, which was the forerunner to the RTE orchestra. Ernest, who was living in Wolverhampton, left England in 1939 and moved in with his parents at Cabra Grove, determined to become a writer. He bought a Remington typewriter, and a number of novels followed, some written at Cabra Grove, including Plymouth Adventure, which was published in 1947. It sold four million copies and was subsequently made into a, a, a film featuring Spencer Tracy. For anybody younger in the audience, a film is a movie. <laughs> All right. um, McKee Barracks, it's an imposing and unique military structure dominating Black Horse Avenue. Constructed between 1888 and 1892 on a 45-acre site to design of Lieutenant Colonel J.T. Marsh, um, the site cost the British War Department £15,000, or £333 an acre, which is a lot of money in those days. The buildings, a brick in the French Chateau Elizabethan, Queen Anne and Tudor styles, were grouped on three sides of a 120-yard long barracks square. According to local folklore, these plans were intended for barracks in India and were mixed up. However, this is not the case. The contractor was a J.P. Pyle and the building cost over £80,000 and was first occupied in October 1891 by the British Army's 10th Hussars. <coughs> Commandant Andrew Shinnick, formerly of the 2nd Field Artillery Regiment, who hails from Ballyhooley in County Cork, is the current commanding officer of McKee Barracks. The Army Equitation School has a long and illustrious history, and that's located in McKee Barracks. Again, it's a jewel in the crown for Dublin 7. In December 1922, the barracks was handed over by the British Army to Commandant Bernard J. McMahon, Dublin Brigade, and was renamed after Brigadier Richard Dick McKee. Dick McKee fought under Thomas McDonough at Jacobs Mills during 1916. On Bloody Sunday, the 21st of November 1920, he was arrested by the Black and Tans and taken to Dublin Castle, where he was murdered that night. McKee Barracks made an early entry into the Irish history books when, in January, 1926, Radio Wearing was established and its first call sign, 2RN, issued from here, where the fledgling radio station had established its mass. Transmission from the barracks continued until 1931. And that's just a memorial to a horse, Mary, and it's just inside the Phoenix Park entrance to McKee Barracks. It's quite interesting. So Frederick Faulkner, in his History of the Royal Hospital, says that the name Phippsburg was given to the area from the people who lived at the confines of the woods Salkut or Salkok, called Fipos or Fairpos. Anglo-Normans, they were deemed vast grabbers of Osman lands. The Reverend C.J. McCready, in his book, Dublin Street Names, dates the name from 1792 and says it comes from Edward Phipps, fourth son of Richard Phipps of Kilmainham. In 1822, a group of Roman Catholics formed a committee to establish a school in Phippsburg. In October of that year, work commenced on a site at the junction of North Circular Road and New Cabra Avenue, and in September 1826, the school was opened for catechism classes on Sundays. The following February, a schoolmaster was engaged and a day school was established with 230 boys and 160 girls on the roads. <coughs> Shortly thereafter, a church was built on the site, and over the years, improvements and extensions followed. Beginning in 1843, and resulting in new schools being built to the rear of the, the church. And this served the community until 1891, when it was replaced by a new school on St. Peter's Road, 
an inscription carved into the wall in the former school is today a reminder that it once held the, the, that school within the church complex and it just simply reads St Peter's National School and if you stand on the corner of the Elmo shop and look over towards the church you'd see it up in the wall there. And these are just some landmarks from Phibsworth, that's the Baptist church and the orchard. See the orchard shop there and the horden going along the railing. The tram shed at Phibsworth, Phibsworth garage. Daily Mount Park, that's 1950 FAI Cup final. Again, notice the absence of traffic on the road. That's 1950. Bohemian Football Club in 1928. <coughs> and that's just a view of the, the old AIB at Phippsborough. And the travel shop, which is gone. This is an aerial view of, of um, Phippsborough from the 1970s. And this comes from... Um, Mary Canan's shop, Canan Studio, the camera, the, the photographic studios in Berkeley Road. I don't know if anybody remembers Bournes. Yeah. yeah. I do. On the Fisborough Road. The lane, there's a little lane to the right of it there, which leads right down to what used to be the Royal Canal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cross Bridge, one of the another iconic landmark in, on Dublin's north side. And Doyle's Corner. Doyle's Corner is one of the famous landmarks in Dublin, and the Bohemian Lounge was originally called Doyle's. This was John Doyle's pub, whose initials can be seen in the upper brickwork at the top of the building on the corner. And it just simply is JD 1906. Through also owning the pub on the opposite corner, he indelibly stamped his family name on the intersection, which up to the early 1900s was called Dunphy's Corner, and it's mentioned in Ulysses. The Doyle family sold the pub in 1963. The present proprietors are Seamus and Alan McGill. The Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, formerly called Morphy's, was probably given this name to associate it with that of the intersection. The licensee in the 1980s was Cavanborn Aidan McGovern. Doyle's Corner was a chronic traffic bottleneck during the 1960s until its single overhead traffic control light, which was called the Wink and Willie, was replaced by more modern traffic lights. This helped to ease the flow of vehicles passing through. Children of the area often assemble at Doyle's Corner when workmen were maintaining the Wink and Willie and would dive on the disused graphite stick, which was used for chalk, left by them at the roadside. The turret, built in 1772 and forming part of the original village of Fisbury, was so called from the distinctive turret room on the roof of the house. The last owner, Richard Lawson, failed in his efforts to preserve the premises and, ridden with dry rot, it was compulsively demolished in 1979. The former Ranks Mills was once an iron foundry owned by the engineer and inventor Robert Mallet. This is the chimney coming down in 1947 when it um, switched uh, its power generation from steam to electricity. This was an iron mill and the, in Robert Mallet's time in the 1860s and 70s and the, the railings for TCD were manufactured here. Robert Mallet was also an engineer and inventor, and he invented the prison bed, the, the one-legged prison bed. Well, it, it says it's suitable for a, a ploughman's room, with the work generally used in prison cells. This is Shannon Park Mills, adjoining the Royal Canal, and this is, it, again, it was once a distinctive North City landmark. Built around 1800, it was acquired by the Midland Great Western, Western Railway in 1848 who used it for the storing of logwood. They converted it into a manufacturing plant for pins and rivets. 
And in the early 1900s, the railway company disposed of the plant and it lay idle for a number of years. On the Ordnance Survey map of 1908, it is described as a disused pin factory. In 1928, the property was acquired by William Blake of McCroom in County Cork, Cork, who initiated the manufacture of bread rust for use in sausage making, later expanding into the area of pepper and spice grinding. It imported its raw materials from exotic places like Sarawak, Jamaica, Zanzibar and Madagascar. On the 7th of May 1943, the mill was gutted by fire. And this Irish Times photograph shows the aftermath of the fire and the damage that it caused. On the death of William Blake, the company passed on to a firm called Stokes and Dalton, which in turn was acquired by Ranks, Hovis and MacDool. The construction of houses in nearby Shannon Park commenced during the 1930s. Shannon Crescent was built during the war and the houses were advertised for sale in the Golden Jubilee booklet issued by Bohemian FC to celebrate their 50 years in 1940. All Saints Church, situated on Fisborough Road, has a fascinating history. Built in 1825, improvements were carried out and the church extended in 1867. In 1986, Dublin Corporation acquired the old vicarage on the site that was on the site and um, built the Dublin Fire Brigade. The site was, the f was famous for being the orchard attaching to the vicarage. William Maturin was a famous rector and orator and served here from 1843 until his death in 1887. His son, Basil William Maturin, was born in the vicarage in 1847 and he was the third eldest of the ten Maturin children. Entering religious life in 1870 as a Church of Ireland deacon, William converted to Ro Roman Catholicism in 1897 and was ordained in Rome the following year. He was a great orator like his father and huge crowds came to hear him speak. He was sent on a preaching tour to the USA in the spring of 1915 and on his return, unfortunately on the Lusitania, when it was torpedoed, he was drowned and his body was washed ashore sometime after the sinking. A constant visitor here was George Tyrrell who was born in Dorset Street and was drawn to the high church circle of William Matron at All Saints and was a constant presence. <coughs> but he later converted to and was ordained a Jesuit priest in 1891. He fell out with the church authorities over doctrinal matters and um, he died in July 1909 at Mulberry House in, in England, in Sussex, of Bites disease. He was refused a Roman Catholic burial and was interred in the churchyard of the Anglican parish at Storrington in England. Basil William Maturin and the Abbe Bremen were the only Roman Catholic priests to attend the funeral. The trade union leader, James Larkin, who was a key figure in the events of the 1913 lockout, was at that time living at 27 Auburn Street in Fitzroy with his wife and three sons, paying a weekly rent of nine shillings out of a salary of two pound two shillings a week. Now, just past Auburn Street, heading down towards the North Circular Road, stands Mountjoy Prison, Ireland's first modern committal prison. Known to generations of Dubliners as the Joy, construction commenced in 1847 and it was opened in March 1850. The complex was constructed using artisans from Europe, descendants of Napoleonic prisoners and ordinary convict labour. The style was based on that of Pentaville Prison in England, which was the model radial prison. And it had one prisoner to each cell and it had in-cell sanitation, which was um, quite unique in the Victorian times. 
the triangle where Brendan Bean's queer fella heard the old triangle called Jingle Jangle along the banks of the Royal Canal, I can't sing it, was hung in the circle and sounded at unlocking time and could be heard in all parts of the prison. It still stands in the circle today, but only for display purposes. The execution chamber is still in existence and in working order. It's still there and it's situated at the end of D1 wing. And the last person to be executed here was a man called Michael Manning on the morning of the 20th of April, 1954. He murdered in Orson Limerick. Albert Pierpoint, 1905 to 1992, Britain's long-serving and last hangman was paid one and six plus expenses, which included brandy, for the task. <coughs> now, heading from Phillipsborough, just past Blackwire Bridge, which is right at the State Cinema, the present-day state, old State Cinema, and around by Berkeley Road, Canaan Studio, it's moved up to the corner now, in the last couple, three years. You come to Eccles Street, and Eccles Street, which is found on Dublin maps from as early as 1772, derives its name from Sir John Eccles, a Lord Mayor of Dublin. He lived in Mount Eccles on North Great George's Street and built St George's Church, Hardwick Place, for his Church of Ireland tenants. The noted Jesuit priest, Father John Sullivan, was born at 41 Eccles Street in 1861, and he was actually christened in St George's Church. Margaret Aylward, the founder of the Sisters of the Holy Faith, established her first convent house, St Bridget's, at number 46. Sir Boyle Roach, soldier and parliamentarian, lived at number 63 and was noted as the clown of the uh, Irish Parliament, famous for his bulls and blunders, one of them being, what has posterity ever done for us? <laughs> he died in this house in 1807-871, and in that same house, Frances Ball was born in 1794. She was the founder of the Loretto Order of Nuns in Ireland. Quite a conspicuous house even today on this street is number 64 with its inlaid sculptures. This was the home of Francis Johnson, the renowned architect and first president of the Royal Hibernian Academy. He designed a GPO and numerous other buildings around Dublin. Number 65 is this house here and it was the home of Leo Whelan, a famous Irish artist who lived here for most of his life and died in 1956. His painting, Midday Meal, 1930, hangs in the National Art Gallery and depicts the kitchen at Eccles Street. Other paintings hang in the, in the um, National Concert Hall and in Dáil <coughs> In 1901, the Joyce family came to reside at 5 St Peter's Road, and James Joyce's mother actually died in that house. Uh, she died in August 1903, and the following year the family were again on the move to 44 Fountain High Street, that this house here. This was the smallest house the family had lived in and they spent an unusually long spell living here. And in July 1909, James Joyce, by this time living in Trieste with Nora Barnacle, paid a visit to Dublin, accompanied by his in infant son, Giorgio, and lodged in this house until January 1910, just a little over six months. Sean Houston, one of the executed leaders of 1916, stayed at number 20 Fontenoy Street, across the road from that. And uh, that was the home of his mother, on the night before he took part in the Easter Rising. Successful, successive editions of Tom's Directory list, um, list her as living at this address, list her as Mrs Houston. Now 30 Mountjoy Street, and note the laneway there. Um, Madeline Dilly Dicker, a girlfriend of Michael Collins before Kitty Kernan, lived here in 30 Mountjoy Street, and her family home was one of a number of safe houses used by, by him. 
It was an ideal safe house as a laneway runs alongside the house leading from Mountjoy Street down into Dorset Street and Dominic Street and there's another laneway running at the back of the house. Even today, doors in the garden's side and back wall afforded a quick exit if such was necessary. Dilly Dicker was an ardent nationalist and a member of Cumann Amman and Sinn Féin. During the War of Independence, she undertook many risky tasks for Michael Collins. The house was sold and renovated in 2010. However, there's an outdoor toilet beside <coughs> the house and it's, it still survives and it's in exactly the same condition as it was in 1920. So it's in an amazing state of preservation. This is Middle Mountjoy Street, and Middle Mountjoy Street joins Palmerstown Place to Upper Dominic Street, and it's very interesting if you walk around it for the number of well-kept family homes on the street. It's very unusual. John O'Leary was born in Tipperary Town in 1830, and he came to Dublin in 1847, where he got involved with the Young Ireland Movement. He was living here in this house when he was arrested in the early hours of the 16th of September 1865 during a large-scale rounding up of Fenian activists. A plaque on the wall of the house commemorates this fact. John O'Leary is immortalised in the Yeats poem, September 1913, by the following lines. Romantic Ireland is dead and gone, it's with O'Leary in the grave. Another great street is Blessington Street, which was built in 1795, and it gets its name from the owner and, development, and developer of the surrounding lands, Luke Gardner, whose family held the titles Lord Mountjoy, Mountjoy Square, Mountjoy Street and the Earl of Blessington. The writer Jean Oris Mordock was born at number 59 Blessington Street and that's a photograph taken last Saturday of that house. Her parents met by chance on a tram they both boarded in the city centre. Her mother was going to choir practice in the Black Church nearby when they exchanged glances. Her family moved to London in 1922 and Iris Mordock went on to write 26 novels. She was the winner of the Whitbread Prize in 1974 for The Sacred and Profane Love Machine and the Booker Prize in 1978 for The Sea to Sea. Her novel The Unicorn was set in the Ireland of the 1950s and she holidayed in Ireland every year during her married life, staying with family. She died in Oxford in 1999. The headquarters of Batu, the building and allied trades unions, is located at number 13 Blessington Street on the left-hand side as you go into town. Formerly the ancient guild of incorporated brick and stone layers, its general secretary Richard O'Carroll was a volunteer during the Easter Rising in 1916. He was arrested by British forces on Candom Street, disarmed and taken to the back of the building and was shot dead. Now, the place name of Broadstone derives its name from the Norse Bradog Stin, the stone of the Bradog. It was here at Broadstone that the Bradog water flowed over Stone Bottom on its way to the River Liffey, near the Ormond Hotel that comes into the Liffey there. In 1845, a Dublin to Mullingar mainline, the Midland Great Western Railway, with a branch to Longford, was sanctioned. On October the 2nd, 1848, the first train reached Mullingar to tremendous local excitement. Finally, on the 1st of August, 1851, the 76-mile section to, to Galway with only one significant engineering feat, the Shannon Bridge at Athlone was opened. And Mallet, the Mallet Iron Foundry at, at um, Fisborough um, constructed the, the, the bridge over the Shannon. Its inauguration was the longest stretch of railway line open at the same time in Ireland. The engineer responsible for the railway was George Hemans, who later became city engineer. He was the son of the poet Felicity Doherty, Nee Brown Hemans. 
well known for her poem Casablanca, which starts with the lines, the boy stood on the burning deck. And a number of those employed at Broadstone Railway Station took part in the Easter Rising, including Jerry Boland from the well-known Republican family. A brother of Harry Boland, who actually was born at, at uh, number six Daily Mount Terrace in Fisborough in April 1887. He worked as an apprentice fitter joining Dublin Corporation upon qualifying. Towards the late 1950s, steam locomotion began its rapid demise and Broadstone Railway Station closed and later became a base for buses serving both the city and provincial routes and it's a key centre for bus errands road haulage activities. In, in 2016 the works on expanding the Lewis tram ne network commence at Broadstone and it's given a new impetus to the, to the area. That's an old ticket from Sligo to Liverpool, 79 shillings and sixpence, uh, four pound. There's a large water tower of granite construction located in the grounds of the fallway, former railway accommodation called Highfield House on um, North Circular Road. It's just beside that uh, De Moose Cafe, you know, the, the mm -hmm. Charleville Lodge, mm -hmm. just beside that. And this, supplied, um, this was supplied by water uh, from an, uh, an underground pipe running along the railway track from the Royal Canal at Liffey Junction. This supplied water to the, water the steam trains at Broadstone Railway Station. Until the 1980s, it was used to wash the buses at the Broadstone Depot, but later became obsolete. It's still there, but not, a, not visible as it once was in the North Circular Road because of the heavy overgrowth on the vacant site there after Highfield House was demolished. I took this photograph in um, July of last year. That's the John Rock map of Dublin City in 1756. The Dublin cattle market opened in November 1863 and was situated behind the City Arms Hotel between Ockham Street and Prussia Street. And it replaced the old one at Smithfield. It remained in business for over 100 years. During the 1920s, it was the busiest market of its kind in Europe. Throughput in that, in 1923, numbered nearly three quarters of a million animals and included over 182,000 fat cattle, 368,000 sheep and 47,000 pigs. During the late 1960s, business at the markets dwindled due to a number of factors, but mainly to the growth of provincial animal markets in the, um, in the late 60s and 70s. In 1979, <coughs> Dublin Corporation commenced to build on the site of and what was once known as the market is now the Drummondley Local Authority Housing Development. Um, locally, it's called the Cattler. Now, North Circular Road, and Margaret Collins O'Driscoll was born in 1878, and she was the eldest sister of General Michael Collins. A primary school teacher, she married Patrick O'Driscoll, a journalist and owner of the West Cork people in 1901, and they lived at 147 North Circular Road. It's just up here a little bit. Um, for the rest of their married life. And they raised a family of five sons and nine daughters in the house. She was a sitting TD for a total of 10 years until 1933. And indeed, from 1927 to 1932, she was the only female member of Dáil Éireann. She died on the 17th of June, 1945. Michael Collins was a regular visitor to her house. Now, for, further down the road on the right-hand side was the home of uh, Frankie Byrne number 23, North Circle Road. A lot of people will rem remember of her, you know, the Dear Frankie, and um, the Jacobs TV Awards. And on the opposite side of the road, on the left-hand side, further down, at number 48, was King's Court. And 
Kings Court was the home of Harry Clark, Ireland's renowned stained, stained glass artist, and examples of his fine works can be seen in St. Peter's Church in Phillipsburg, particularly in the oratory. Harry Clark married Margaret Crilly in 1914. She was born in Newry County Down and studied under William Orpen, who greatly admired her work. Following the death of Harry Clark in Switzerland in 1931, where he was receiving treatment for tuberculosis, Margaret spent the rest of her life living in the house there on the North Circular Road, and she appears in successive Tom's directories. Um, that's the City Arms Hotel. Note the gentleman sitting on the, the wrought iron chair on the top of the steps. Manor Street Garda Station. They were often called out to deal with people having a few drinks in the Manor Cinema across the road. And um, they're the World War I medals of John Noon, um, whose family are still represented in, um, in Black Street in Dublin. Now, people might recognise that. Checkpoint Charlie. Um, run down by the mid-1960s, Smithfield was the location for the celebrated film The Spy Who Came In From The Cold during the winter of 1964-65. Based on a John Le Carre bestseller of Double Agentry, it was directed by Martin Ritt and the cast included the famous Richard Burton and Claire Bloom. A meticulous job was done converting Smithfield into Checkpoint Charlie, the east-west Berlin border crossing, with the replicas receiving widespread critical acclaim for its authenticity. The district here was buzzing at the time for Richard Burton's wife, the famous actor Elizabeth Taylor, was by his side on location and during filming scores of schoolchildren could be seen near the film set actually waiting to get a glimpse of the famous couple. Richard Burton played the part of Alexander Alec Limas in the film who was head of the Berlin station British Intelligence and Claire Bloom played Nan Perry, an ardent communist and assistant <coughs> librarian working in London. Smithfield in the 1980s. Park 8th Street, and it's interesting to know that the, park, the, the, the hotel there, and it, there's a hotel still there on the site now. And it, that's the bus from Lucan, just there at the Esplanade, and you can see the um, Wellington Monument in the background. That's Queen Street. Queen Street is identified on Dublin maps from 1867, and the street is named after. Catherine of Braganza, consort of Charles II. The bridge was renamed Queen Maeve Bridge after the Connacht Queen of legend. Built in 1776 and replacing an earlier structure, it was first called Arran, then Bridewell Bridge, and it's the oldest existing city span on the River Liffey. Thundercut Alley, a laneway off Queen Street and adjacent to North King Street, um, was up at the top of the road and it was boarded up during the 1980s and it disappeared as a laneway altogether. But it was um, it was brought back into being um, and incorporated into the apartment development at Smithfield. One of the most celebrated residents of Queen Street was the architect George Semple. Born in 1700, he undertook the reconstruction of Essex Bridge at Cable Street, now Grattan Bridge. Following two years and 80 days of continuous construction, it was completed in 1753 at a cost of £20,000. He also designed St. Patrick's Hospital and was the supervising architect for the construction of Newbridge House out in Donabate. And he lived in Queen Street all his life until his death in 1782. It's the Bridewell Garda Station. That slide is interesting in that there was the matron there, <coughs> matron Mrs. MacDonald. And that's 1937. 
so despite being a missus she had a she didn't have to give up her job on, on marriage St. Michael Street previously called Fisher's Lane from as far back as 1390 received its present name in 1890 and it's the location of the Dublin Fruit and Vegetable Market which is architecturally stunning and with ornate wrought iron gates you can see them there and um, the decorative brick brickwork Built in 1892, it replaced a, a warren of small unhygienic markets in the surrounding streets. Now, that brings to an end the presentation. And I would like to thank you all for your attention. I would like to finish by saying that although my book Dublin 7, uh, published by Lilliput Press, although this covers the entire district, it is a broad brush of a very historic part of Dublin. As such, it is a building block for any and every future local historian as I firmly believe that not only is there a book in, say, the King's Inns or St. Peter's Church or the Fruit Markets or the Four Courts, but there is also a book on every picture house and on every football club and on practically every single street in Dublin 7, such as Fountain Eye Street, Eccles Street, Berkeley Road, Liscannor Road, uh, you name it. So get researching and don't forget that your library, your local library, Fisber, Cabra, whatever, <coughs> is a great resource. Thank you for listening to the Dublin City Public Libraries and Archives podcast. To hear more, please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also visit our website, dublincitypubliclibraries.ie, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.